a journey through the book of Psalms. And last week we walked into Psalm 32, and maybe you noticed something about Psalm 32. It's something we've seen with many of the Psalms along the way. With Psalm 32, there is a subheading. There's a subheading. And it tells us that that psalm is of David. It's a psalm of David. And along the way, we've seen these subtitles, uh, these subheadings with some of the psalms. Now, these are not believed to have been part of the original writing, but these come in by way of tradition over the centuries. But interestingly, as we step into Psalm 33, you know, we're on this multi-year journey through the book of Psalms. As we step into Psalm 33, you'll notice there's no subheading. And sometimes when there's no subheading, it means nothing. But in this case, some scholars think that the reason there's no subheading is because Psalm 33 is actually part of Psalm 32. That at one point, Psalm 32 and 33 were actually one psalm. And there are at least 10 Hebrew manuscripts of the book of Psalms that put Psalm 32 and 33 together. So it might be that there's no subheading telling us that this is an individual Psalm of David because maybe Psalm 33 is actually tied in to the Psalm we studied last week, Psalm 32. Take a look at how Psalm 32 ends. David ends that Psalm, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous Sing, all you who are upright in heart. David ends the psalm, at least he, what we think of ending the psalm, with a command to go sing into the nations. A joyful song about this God who forgives so lavishly. And would you know that as we step into Psalm 33, that same theme of singing is exactly what we hit with verse 1. Almost like verse 11 calls us to sing, and then verse 1 of 33 does just that. It tells us what and how to sing. It just might be that these two psalms actually were just one whole song of Israel. We'll pick up Psalm 33. We'll walk through this psalm, and I think we'll find that there's some, there's some application for us at the end of this. There's going to be some big application, and then there's going to be some real personal application. And I'm hoping we can crowdsource our next step. We'll see if we can get there. Psalm 33, verse 1 through 3, we pick up, and we're just going to assume this is David. He writes, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to now put those two together just so you can hear it. Then we'll continue and get through verse 3. Here it is again, verse 11 of 32. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all who are upright in heart. Verse 1. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. I think we just have a continual flow here. Verse 2. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him on the ting-string lyre. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Those three verses call us to song. And there's something going on. There's two things here I want to just pull out. David, right up front here, as we move into this psalm, notes that it is fitting to give praise to God. Fitting, like the word there, fitting. It is appropriate, it is reasonable to sing praise to God. And the reason it's fitting 
if we pull back and just try to think about why would it be fitting to sing praise to God? Because God is the only one who will never fail you. You ever, you ever applaud, give, given your applause or praise to someone or something that failed you? I did. I did here recently. From this stage, I did not mention the Atlanta Braves. And they failed me. There are some in our church family this morning. They're not here because they're mourning. They're mourning. Something really bad happened to Carolina yesterday. No, whoa, 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 whoa. The same thing happened to Duke. Uh-huh. Did, did Wake Forest lose too? Oh, that's worthy to be praised. Yes. Okay, okay. Um, but, but we all know what it feels like to give our praise to something that fails us. The God of the universe is the only person who will never fail you. You can give all your applause to Him, and you will find in the end, none of it was wasted. And so it is fitting to give Him praise, and Him praise alone. Now the other part of that is, the reason it's fitting to praise the Lord is because we literally were created by Him. We were created to give Him praise. Puritans several hundred years ago, tried to just summarize Christianity in a, in a statement of faith, and then they tried to take that and they kind of worked it into questions, like question, answer, question, answer, just a way of memorizing, you know, the key parts of what it means to be a Christian. This took on the form of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Some of you may have heard of that. The first question and answer in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is this. Here it is. What is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Why is it fitting to praise God? You were literally created to do it. It is fitting. It actually works. And so, when we think about praising God, giving Him glory, over the centuries, all the way back into the history of Israel, one of the best ways to give God glory is to sing His praises. Literally, to set your praise to music and to sing your praise. And this will work its way out in the Bible over and over again. And there were just too many Scriptures to give you. Just two. Just two. One from the Psalms, later in the Psalms, and then we go all the way to the end of the Bible. And the key is that every one of God's people will be singing a new song one day. A song that will go into eternity and it will be all about Him and we will actually be very happy. Two scriptures that talk about this, this new song that God's people will sing. Psalm 144.9 I will sing a new song to you, my God. On the ten-string lyre I will make music to you. And then Revelation 14.3 This happens in a couple places in Revelation. I'm just pick ch chapter 14 here. And they, that is all of God's people around the throne, and they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. We'll be singing, we'll be singing, we'll be singing, and we'll be singing about how good God is. Now, as David moves us from a, a command to go sing, go sing his praises, now David's going to move to kind of the content of the song. Like, what do you sing about? 
What are the things you want to talk about? What do you want to praise God for? We move now, verse 4 through 9. David tells us exactly what he wants to praise God for. Verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Now he gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So of all the things that David could praise here, he focuses in on the power of God's word. Literally, God alone can speak and it comes into existence. There may be nothing, but when God says it, it happens. Now, the New Testament version of this comes out of the book of Hebrews, where the Hebrew writer says this. This is this great chapter on faith, but he leads in this chapter this way. Hebrews 11:3. By faith, we understand that the universe, it was formed by God's command. So that when it, when, uh, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. What you see was spoken into existence. This world is not, it, this is not the result of random atoms hitting together. God spoke something and it happened. And so God's word is all powerful. He is in total control. Let me summarize it this way. Very briefly, God speaks and it happens. His word is stable and it's reliable and he is in total control. That's the thing that comes to mind as David picks up the instrument and begins to build a song of praise to the God of Israel. His word is solid. He is in total control. When he says something, it happens. Then he moves on. Because you know, you know that not everyone recognizes this, right? Like, not everyone in the world recognizes that God is in control and he is all-powerful. There's a lot of people that think they're in control. David wants to now contrast the almighty power of the God of Israel with mere humans who think they can determine what's going to happen in the world. He moves in to verse 10 and 11. Here's what he says. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand forever and the purposes of his heart through all generations. You see, God is in control. Nations are not. Nations will get in trouble when nations start to think that they're God, when they can determine right and wrong, when they can do what they please without consequence. And so the heartbeat of verse 10 and 11, not only does it exalt God's power, David uh, weaves here into uh, his song a key truth that we better understand. And I'm just going to summarize it this way, just kind of three things that kind of pop for me. They're all the same thing, just said different ways. It's this. Any nation that tries to play God will be ruined. Any nation that rejects God will fall. And any nation that praises itself more than God will be destroyed. 
That has been true ever since history started. When a nation leaves God, that nation is on a short track to destruction. And so for David, for David, he looks out and sees nations who want to go their way, determine right and wrong, do what they want, when they want. And he sees that in contrast to God in all of his power. The God who can speak and make it happen. Not every nation will thrive. But the ones who do, they will be the ones who understand this. So he moves back now and moves us to a positive stream into the song. Pick up verse 12. Here's the way he says it. What a great, what a great truth. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. His dwelling place, from his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. Hear this. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all of its great strength, it cannot save. David moves us into this great reality where he just puts God's power on full display. And you want to know the nation that will thrive? You want to know the people that will prosper? Those nations, those people will be those who recognize that God is God. And they are not. Those people will thrive. You see, the people who think that their military is what ultimately saves them will find out that God is more powerful than their military. And those people who think their bank account is the thing that's going to save them are going to find out that things like 2008 can happen at any time. And a housing market can drop out and you'll lose half your investments. You see... The people who thrive in this world recognize God is in control. And your career, your bank account, your job security, your education, your, your social network, none of it compares to the power of the Almighty God. Those who thrive trust the Lord. That's who thrives. Be it a nation or an individual, you recognize God is God. And your bank account, your friends, your powerful influencers, none of that compares to the God who can speak and make things happen. So if you're going to put your hope somewhere, number one, don't put it in the Braves. Don't put it in the Braves. I'm sorry, Mark. I'm going to go the other direction this year. I need to tell you, I'm going to take a side note. I mean, I'm going to take a tangent intentionally. I always wonder what Tess is going to think when I take my tangents. But it's not about you. Um, so I intentionally didn't mention the Braves this year. Because every time I mention a team, like, the opposite happens. So, like, I was going to guarantee a World Series by keeping my mouth shut. But just weeks ago, for Mark's birthday, I signed a card. And I mentioned the Braves in that card from East 10th. It is my fault. It is my fault. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I nobody argued. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's come back. Let's come back. 
So speaking of hope and where you shouldn't place it, um, but if you're going to put your hope anywhere, in light of the fact that this is a God who can speak and make things happen, a God whose plans will always come to fruition, a God who can overthrow any nation at any moment he wants to, in light of that kind of God, where would you put your hope? You put it in him. That's where you put it. And so you, you shouldn't be surprised that as David kind of moves to the end of this song, he's going to say just that. Put your hope in him. That's how he's going to end the song. We finish up verse 18 through 22. Here's how he ends. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. To deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and shield. In Him our heart rejoices. For we trust in His holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord. Even as we put our hope in you. We noted this a few weeks ago. We don't put our hope in an answered prayer. We put our hope in the Lord. And we know whatever comes, He is safe. Uh, well, He's good. Maybe not always safe, but He is good. And He will care for us into eternity. You put your hope in Him. Now, there's something that jumps out here. Maybe you noticed it too, because we keep talking about it. Because it keeps coming up. David twice here, three times in the psalm itself, but twice here in these last four verses, David mentions God's hesed. This is that Hebrew word that gets repeated nearly more than any other word to describe the God of Israel. It is his unfailing love. That's how it's translated in the English, unfailing love. Sometimes it's translated mercy. This is God's tested. This is the love of God that won't let go of you even when you fail. So today, within an hour of leaving the church, when you fail, his hesed will hold on. You see, you don't get into heaven because you were good enough. You get into heaven, you get to be with God because he's good enough. Man, in that good news, it is God's hesed. This word is a rock bed in the scriptures. That word hesed is so important to me. Now, I had one elder just, just moments ago before service started called me a chicken. Said I was a chicken because I wouldn't do this thing I'm about to do. So if it offends you, it is the elders of the church that you should blame, not me. This word is so important to me. I don't know. Big deal here. I put it on my body. I put it on my body. Like, this is the Hebrew word hesed. It's not a stick-on. It's real ink. So you have a preacher who's got ink on him. I hope that doesn't make you leave. But if it makes you want to join or get baptized, it was worth it. Right? Yeah. Okay. So this is the word hesed right here. This is the Hebrew word. And every day I look at that and I remember, no matter how bad I fail today, God's holding on. Now, if you're judging me for that, Judge Tess, too, because she got the same word and she put it on her forearm. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it would be too bold to put it here. But if we all begin to understand it's okay to have that, I might put one here, too. But we'll talk about it later. Maybe we can vote, right? Unanimous? Great. All right. Um, now, in light of God's hesed, so how's God going to demonstrate his hesed? 
Well, here David says, interestingly, interestingly for us as Christians, he says God will deliver his people from the dead. Did you hear that? Verse 19. He says that we hope in his unfailing love, that's attested to deliver from death. There's no valley you'll walk through God can't get you through. That's God's hesed. Now, for Christians, this really does have the echo of John 11, right? So here, David declaring, it's God's love that will ensure you will not stay dead forever. Jesus happened to say the very same thing. Remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world? Well, if you fast forward, he then will say this, John 11, verse 25 through 26. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me, guess what? They will never die. No Christian whose heart has stopped has died. They're just as alive as you would ever believe. More alive than we can understand. You see, that's God's hesed. And so we had to summarize it all, because this is really one big song in praise of God and His Word being in total control, even to deliver from death. I'd summarize it this way. A bit long, but here we go. Psalm 33 is all about singing to God, praising Him, because He is in control. What He commands happens, and no nation or person can overthrow His plans. He alone is the hope of His people, and He delivers them from death. That's Psalm 33. That's a great song. And I think it ties right into Psalm 32. Now, when I think about application, so when I think about, like, what is, what is all of that, how does all of that get on the ground for, like, us today, right, where we live? I think we've got to kind of honor the frame of the song itself. And for David, there's really two layers to the song. There's a national layer. He has something to say about nations. And there's a personal layer. I mean, there's something to say about us as individuals, as God's people. So we're just going to kind of take it that way. Kind of a national layer, and then I want to say something personal. And we'll do some crowdsourcing on that personal level. So here we go, on the national level. Don't worry, we won't get political, but we will. Here we go. On the first, on the first side of the national side of how I think we, this applies to us, I think there's something we need to avoid. Because I think we need to avoid extremes. So on the one extreme, I think we need this. We need to avoid thinking that America is God, as if everything in our world hinges on the United States. America is not the hope of the world. God is. He is in control. So let's just be really clear. The United States could crumble and the world continue. May even prosper more than it ever has. I don't know. I know that America is not God. So we always have to be very careful not to put so much hope in the United States that our hope in the United States actually becomes our God. Now be real careful with that, okay? We are to be patriots. We are to be citizens who serve this nation. But we are not to believe that America is the hope of the world. Can we be a light? Absolutely. Will we save it? No. Jesus already took care of that. And in, in the end, we will not be singing praises to George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, or anyone else that has served this nation. We'll be singing praises to Jesus. That's who we'll be singing praises to. So we want to avoid this extreme where we make America so important that everything hinges 
on, on the trajectory of the United States. That's just not true. But we also want to kind of avoid the other extreme, okay? And it's this. We need to avoid the idea that God has no place in our government. That's so be quick, right? God has a place because God is in control. And as Christians, we need to pray for our leaders. And this is very, this, I, I, I want to press here. We need to do what we can. And I mean you as a citizen who can vote. We need to do what we can to put people in power who recognize God and his word. And we need to put people in power who will act justly. And we need to put people in power who will do their best to establish laws and policies that are in line with God's moral order. So if you find a politician, not only doesn't believe in God, but is trying to establish policies that are contrary to God's word, you should not give them your vote. Now, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. That's not my place. But as Christians... God has a place in the United States. He has a place in Ukraine. He has a place in Russia. God is God of all nations. And as citizens of the United States, we have been granted the massive opportunity and blessing to vote. And if you have the opportunity to vote, then we have the responsibility as citizens of this nation, put here by God, to put people in power who fall in line with the God of the universe. Now, I can't, judge, I can't judge any heart, but I can do whatever research I can do and do my best to put people in power who will help establish justice and will follow God's moral order. That's my responsibility. Now, at this point, we could just walk through all the issues that are contrary to God's moral order and those that fall in line with it. I'll leave that up to you. I think you can, I think I'm telegraphing exactly where I want to go here. Help put people in power who will recognize that God is God and that we will establish a nation that continues to hold that order. That's for any nation. You just happen to have a vote here. Now, that's kind of on the national. I think that's the national layer. I think that has something to say to us, you know, as citizens of the United States, and I know not all of us are. I'm loving Canada, too. I got you, Donnie. I got you. Um, it's, it's, it, there's a personal side to this. And I think the personal side to the psalm is music. I think it's music. I think it's singing. I'm not a singer, but I do like music. I think music is a part of every human. So this is kind of the way I'm thinking about this one. Music influences us in a special way, which is why we need to regularly listen to solid Christian songs. Because I think they help us see and feel the God who will never leave us. So there's a challenge here, a bit of a challenge. So like if you listen to Christian, like Christian radio all the time, then really this is just an encouragement. Keep doing what you're doing, okay? But you heathens who never listen to Christian music, this is a challenge for you. Start listening to some Christian music, okay? And that journey song about believing, that's not a Christian song. It's not a Christian song. It's a good song, but don't, don't, you can't count that as Christian. So the challenge here is that, like, get some Christian music into your ears because it really will impact your mind and heart. Music is so important for Christians. 
that when the Apostle Paul was like training these new Christians, right? Like, here's how you're supposed to walk with Jesus. He had this to say to the Christians in the city of Colossae. He wrote this, Colossians 3.16. He said, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. And, and here's how the message of Christ will going to dwell among you richly. It's going to be through teaching. But then you're going to admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We need music. And there are, there are thousands, hundreds of thousands over the centuries of Christians who have put together songs for us to sing. From the old hymns to the modern songs, we need Christian music. Yeah, you don't need it all the time. I'm not suggesting you got to put the Christian radio station on or like really you're a heathen. That's not that's not the point here. But we need Christian songs. They do something for us and we need them. So here's what I'm thinking about with the next step. I'm excited about this next step, but you're going to have to participate. Okay? Now only 7 of you actually get to go like full on public. But the others will make sure you're recognized. All of that's cryptic. Here we go. Listen to at least one solid Christian song each day. That's your next step. So if you don't listen to any Christian, you've got to get one Christian song. If you listen to Christian music all the time, then I'm going to try to put one in front of your eyes and in your ears. So here's how I want to do it. I want to crowdsource this thing. I would like you to give me your favorite Christian song. Okay? Your favorite Christian song. And it would be really cool if you've got one that's really close to your heart, if you wrote why it's close to your heart. Like some of you I know, you've, you've put special songs into a funeral because it was so meaningful for that loved one. Or maybe there was a song that you heard on your drive to work, you were in despair, and then that song came on and it's always stuck with you and it got you through that day and weeks to come. That song and holds a special place in your heart. I'd love to know that. So here's what we're going to do. So on our website, we're, I'm going to create a web page, and I'm going to put a YouTube link. So I've got to be able to find it on YouTube, because that's the one platform we can all access, I think. Um, I'm going to put a YouTube link to whatever song you pick. So send me the song, and if you want to find it on YouTube and make my life easier, then send me the YouTube link. And we're going to put it on the website, and I'll put your name by it, like in why that song is meaningful, or if you don't want to put any reason why it's meaningful, just your pick, okay? So we're going to have a, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we have a list of songs that have blessed people in our church family. And you can just go to that webpage, and you can just click and listen to a song that maybe blessed Jenny or, or Heather, maybe something that blessed you. I'm just thinking, like, how cool would that be to be able to go... And listen to the songs that have blessed us individually. I think that's pretty cool. So that's the crowdsourcing. But here's the extra layer. And this will have to be random because I'm not going to play favorites unless it's like Tessa's song. If it's Tessa's song, like she gets it. But everyone else, we're going to like, it's going to be random. So what I would like to do is, we got to get at least seven, okay? Um, is I want to take from that list that we're going to build. And every day this week, starting tomorrow, it might start today, depends on how, how quickly the list comes in, but start, at least starting tomorrow, if you're on our text messaging service, okay, and if you're not, then you need to tell me to get you on, okay, so I need your mobile phone number. That's going to be the key to get you on our text messaging. Every day this week, once a day, I'm going to send out a link to a song from one of you. 
And so it might be, you know, Betty, and I'll put the song, this blessed me when I was going through a hard time. I don't, I, I'll, I'll try to write it as concisely because we only have so many characters we can put in our text message. And I'm hoping that will bless you. That maybe at that moment in your day, Betty's song comes to you and it just completely changes the rest of your day. Like how cool would that be? So in some ways, I want the sermon to just move right through the week. Like every day we continue the next step. But you've got to help it happen because I... I'm not going to give you my seven. Just give me your one. Here's the way you can do it. You can text me. What's your phone number, Jason? It's on the front of your bulletin. Or you can just come and ask me, what's your phone number? Okay? The other way is you could write it on your Connect card. So in your bulletin, there's a tear-off. You could put it right there in the notes section. And again, we're going to compile these on, the, on one web page. And then randomly throughout the week, I'll just randomly pick one a day and send that out. I think it's going to be pretty cool where we watch Psalm 33 go with us into Monday, Tuesday, all the way up to Sunday. My hope is that your mind and heart are closer to God by Sunday than when you started today. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. We did not come up with it. It comes from beyond us. You challenge us and you, can, you encourage us. And your hesed holds us. No matter what happens today, you do not let go. And we are so grateful for that. And we're going to sing about that. And we're going to listen to music about you. And so help us throughout the week. May we bless one another as we admonish one another through songs. And we get to share that with one another. As we come to the communion table, we are so grateful for what Jesus did for us. We'll remember him now in just a second. We pray all of this in the name of him who is Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Amen.